This is Dream Power Radio, the place where your dreams turn into reality. Here is your host, Debbie Specter Weissman. Hello, 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 and welcome to Dream Power Radio on the amazing Women and Men of Power Network, the world's leading positive programming network powered by Raven International. I'm your host, Debbie Specter Weissman, the Dream Coach. This is a show where we talk about dreams, both daytime and nighttime dreams, and how you can use them to make the internal shift to a life you love. A lot of things have changed for us in these past months. One has been the increase in the amount of people who are remembering their dreams, and that's a good thing. What's bad is that they may forget them as soon as they have them, and that's because they don't know how to work with them. I want to help. And that's why I'm talking with a number of dream workers about their methods on how to unlock the meaning of dreams. Today, I'm happy to bring on my guest, Scott Sparrow. Scott is the founder of the Dream Star Institute, the innovator of the five-star method of dream interpretation, and the author of several books, including Lucid Dreaming, Dawning of the Clear Light. Welcome to Dream Power Radio, Scott. Thank you, Debbie. Glad to be here. Thank you. Scott, have you found a difference in what you're dreaming about these days? Well, it's pretty stressful, isn't it, all around? So, uh, yes, it seems to be more stressful images and activities. Mm. Well, how did you get interested in dreams? Well, around the age of 19, I had my first lucid dream. And back then, no one knew what they were. There's nothing written about them. So I was amazed and I began to study those experiences and they increased. And that's pretty much how I got into it. I started studying Carl Jung about that time as well. And really, he became my mentor of sorts. So that's how I got into it. Mm. Well, as a result of all of this, uh, you developed a unique approach to Dreamer called the Five Star Process. Can you go into what those five steps are and and how a dreamer can use them? Sure. Uh, The five steps are sharing the dream in the first person present tense, which is something that uh, Fritz Perls um, pioneered way back. And the second step is called the process narrative or the theme, which is removing all the content from the dream and reducing it to a statement of what's happening. Uh, it's very hard to do because it's, uh, it simplifies the dream and people want to jump in and deal with the imagery right off the bat. So the third step, which is probably the heart of the whole method, is looking at the dreamer's response to the dream and how that response affects the dream and vice versa. So it's looking at the dream as a relational or interactive process. Then we get into step four, which is the dream imagery, where most people want to start. So we slow down the arrival into the uh, imagery analysis. We put these first three steps there, and what that does is it really creates a context, a relational context for dealing with the dream imagery. And the last step is uh, how are you going to apply this dream in your waking life, but also dreaming forward. How would you like to change your responses to similar dreams in the future? And this has been called a new era in dream analysis. So how is this method different from other methods? Well, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of looking like looking at the world uh, as flat versus round. It doesn't change the world to change your view. 
of, of the shape of it. Uh, so when we change our view of the dream from uh, fixed content, that's kind of the traditional view. Freud uh, uh, espoused that view that the dream was prepared by the unconscious so that when we get it, it's kind of fixed from the outset. It's a received narrative and we start working on it immediately. The co-creative paradigm of which the five-star method is a, a systematic approach is based on the idea that the dream is really a, indeterminate from the outset. It's an interactive process between the dream ego and the emergent content so that the two interact over real time uh, to create the final product of the dream. So it's not received, it's not fixed. It's a relational experience in which the dreamer plays a significant role in co-creating the outcome. Oh, and you said at the beginning, one of the uh aspects of this is that when you talk about the dream, uh, the languaging is important. Uh, you talk about using the present tense, yes. things like that. So why, why is that important? Well, um, it creates for the dream worker or the dream group, it creates a shared dream. Uh, when you tell a dream or any experience in the past tense, it has a way of keeping it as a, like a bubble in the dreamer's head. Uh, we relate to it as something that's already happened, as something that's private and personal. But when we share it in the present tense, it becomes like a starfish, if you will. The uh, dream now is in the center of the room. It becomes everybody's dream. And then everybody partakes of it, and it becomes personal. So that first step is very important to establish a shared emotional communal experience of the dream. As uh, some theorists have said, some dream workers that we don't work with the dreamer's dream, we work with our dream, the one we hear, the one we internalize, and that, be, that begins our work with the dream. So sharing in the present tense in, increases that likelihood that the dream will become very real and immediate to everyone listening to it. Mm. And do you find that uh, when people have done this kind of work, they see differences in the way they think about the dreams? Yes, I think so, because it really focuses on dreamer agency, uh, dreamer response, and dreamer capability, but also dreamer uh, deficiency. So when we look at the dreamer and how they're interacting with the dream, it becomes a very much a developmental growth focus. Like, how are you doing with this dream? Not what does it mean, but how are you doing with what's being presented? And that as a therapist, I find that that approach really maps onto the therapeutic conversation which is how are you dealing with life, what kind of response are you making to this situation, and how do you want to change it? So the dream work, the co-creator dream work, maps onto the therapeutic process very beautifully versus the traditional approach, which tends to put the dream and in focus without regards to what the dream is doing in the dream. Mm. Uh, can you just elaborate on that? Because I'm not entirely clear on that difference. Okay. So... When, when a person has a dream, typically they ask questions like, what does this image mean? What does this symbol mean? What is this dream telling me to do or telling me about my life? The co-creative process tends to look at what are you doing in relationship to the dream? How did you do? Where did you assume something that may have not been useful, that created a kind of a bad relational out, outcome? So uh, we look at what the dreamer is doing. We don't overlook that by focusing too much on the content. 
And how do you view emotions in terms of this process? Or is the emotional aspect a factor? Very important. First thing we look at is in the dream sharing, the person, first person present tense sharing, we're looking at the emotional uh, environment of the dream. And as well as most importantly, what, what is the dissonance? Most dreams involve some degree of emotional dissonance. So the dreamer starts off on her bicycle, traveling through a dark neighborhood at night, trying to get home. So there is this tension in most dreams, some degree of tension. And so we can, we can define what those two aspects are, usually emotionally, like wanting to get secure versus feeling threatened by being vulnerable and exposed, right? So looking at that emotional climate sets the stage for effective dream work. Mm. And can you give me an example of how you would work with a dream using this method? Well, yeah, I need to think about a dream, about <laughs> one that would be... Okay, so sometimes the simplest dream... Uh, can reveal more meaning if we look at the dreamer and their attitude than just the content. So I'm working with a man who's estranged from his husband, I mean, from uh, his wife. They're preparing to get a divorce. He doesn't really want to get it, but he's really been bad acting out, had, he had affairs and stuff like that. So he has a dream where he is making love with his wife. It's not usual for him to have dreams like this. And he's very, he's very caring. He's very considerate. He slows down. He doesn't want to rush things. He's focused on her need. And that's the dream. Simple as that. Doesn't tell him much except, well, that's not happening, you know. But what I did was I focused on his attitude, the way that he was considerate and focused on her versus his own gratification, which was the historical problem, which caused him to act out and get into all kinds of relationships that caused her to want to end the relationship. So I thought of that as a significant shift for him. And he hadn't seen it because he wasn't really looking at his attitude or his behavior being different than usual. And so it was a therapeutic moment for him. A good mm -hmm. moment. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm just thinking because I, my dreams tend to be really short also. Yeah. Sometimes right. they're just images or little events and you could just take a single image and, and use this method to really get to the bottom of it. As long as a dreamer is engaged in some way and interacting or at least feeling toward the content. Can I share another dream with you? That was sure. really, I had a client many years ago who was seriously depressed and tried to commit suicide twice. She'd been terribly abused in her life. So in the dream, She's returning home from a long trip, hasn't been home for a long time, and to visit her family, who had been terrible to her in her early life. She arrives at a picnic, and there's nobody there to greet her. There's no food left. There's just a platter on the table with a, uh, a dead, uh, well, the bones of a fish. All the meat is gone. Everybody's eaten. Left nothing for her. So you can really feel that, right? Uh, for some reason, this very depressed, suicidal woman in the dream takes the tray. She walks down to this pond that's nearby and she lays the tray in the water. And as she does, the fish comes to life, shimmers, colors, and the fish swims away. Now this was at the very beginning of a multi-year relationship and I was just blown away. I said, I said, how did you do that? Look what you did. Now the focus on the dreamer, her response, 
was not something she expected. But from my approach, that was the pivotal issue in the dream. I mean, the fish being transformed is wonderful, but it only happened from my perspective because she found within herself the capacity to take that fish to the water again. So for years, literally, I worked with her for years before she did recover. But for years, we would go back to that dream and I would say, Barbara, how did you do that? It's amazing what you're able to do. Don't forget that. And she never did. Mm. It's very interesting that you just said the point where you, you would go back to the dream. So when you're working with somebody, you will go back and you find different things in the dream or is it the person's present activities that determine that? How does that, how does that work? I use the dream as evidence uh, of whether they are particularly competent or maybe failing in the response but it becomes a centerpiece for us to continue to look at how that uh, relational event, how their response serves as a, an exceptional moment in their life. As from a solution focused point of view, some dreams can be seen as an exceptional moment where the dreamer was able to do something, express themselves, confront something in ways that never before they'd done. So we go back to it and continue to um, ratify that and, and massage it, if you will, so that that, response will get stronger in their life, both in the dream state and the waking state. Sometimes there's mistakes that are made. Sometimes obviously chronic or uh, habitual patterns of relating can be circ uh, circled as well. And we go back and we look at that. Have it, has anything changed? Are you starting to make more of a more creative response to the situation? So it's not only the, the celebrations that we continue to look at, but also the, the, um, the moments where they failed in their own opinion. How did you actually develop this system? You know, what, what events led you to it? Well, as you can imagine, it's related to lucid dreaming. When we talk about dreamer response and creativity and alternatives, it's very similar when we, to the lucid dream where we know that when the dreamer becomes aware of their dreaming, they can respond and do all kinds of things. As an early lucid dream researcher and psychotherapist, I found that most of my clients could not become lucid very easily. So the whole idea of, aha, let's use the lucid dream as a platform just fell flat because most of them would just look at me blankly and say, well, how the heck am I going to get there from here? So I began to look at normal dreams and found that most dreamers in every dream have some degree of reflectiveness, uh, choice, responsiveness and they overlook that so this approach really goes into those those unacknowledged capacities um, to think to make choices and begins to massage those and highlight them so that the individual becomes more aware of their capacity to become um, more engaged in the dream more creative so whether they ever become lucid or not the ordinary dreamer can at least begin to work on increasing their reflectiveness and their responsiveness to that dream, the future dreams, as well as to life in general. Mm. Hey, well, this is all very fascinating. Uh, we're going to take a short break, though. We're speaking with dream worker Scott Sparrow, and we'll be right back. Join me, my fellow Raven International podcasters, and broadcasters from around the world in a joyous salute to the heroes of the pandemic. On June 12th, the Raven International Network is devoting the entire day to a star-studded list of speakers who will inspire, empower, and connect with you. 
watch on the Raven International Network channel on Roku or Amazon Fire, or listen on podcasts everywhere. See you on the 12th. Welcome back to Dream Power Radio with your host, Debbie Specter Weissman. Yes, welcome back to Dream Power Radio. I'm your host, Debbie Specter Weissman, and we're speaking with dream expert Scott Sparrow about dreams. Scott, uh, the this method is very fascinating. Uh, you're talking about doing, working with dreams on an individual basis, but this can also be used in a group setting as well. Uh, how would that work? Well, uh, we go through the five steps with the group, and we have to be a little more disciplined because most people who haven't used it will tend to jump ahead uh, to trying to figure out what the images mean. And we, we have to slow them down and really urge them to look at the first three steps before we get to that. So it, it works really well because people can relate to the feelings in the dream in the first step. Sometimes they have different reactions to what happened, different emotional reactions, and they share those feelings. And especially in the third step where they talk about the dreamer's response to the situation, they can share their own uh, subjective inclinations to have responded to the situation differently. So if somebody responds by flying away in the dream or running away, uh, a member in the group might say, well, you know, I wanted to stay. I wanted to stay longer and find out what he wanted to say to me. So it begins to not tell the dreamer that they did wrong, but to pre- pre- uh, present a different perspective uh, by the, from the whole group's perspective. They all share di- something different. So uh, it can be very useful therapeutically, but also it reveals a lot of the dream group members how they relate to life. And so that third step is really rich in terms of a group involvement. Now the fourth step is very similar to a lot of uh, traditional or current methods of dream work where we use statements like Montague Owen's statement and Jeremy uh, Taylor's statement, if the dream were my dream, if this were my experience, I would have done or felt or thought uh, about this. So uh, the group really creates a diverse experience of uh, of uh, reflectiveness on the dreamers' responses again, as well as what they could do differently in the future. So, so when an example, if you like, so yeah. So uh, when you're working in a group setting, do you go back to the same dream again and again? Yes, we do. We we often get to know each other through the um, dreams they've shared, and over time, as you know, a series of dreams over time reveals so much more. We begin to see repetitive patterns and characters showing up again. And we can actually track the development of the individual, Uh, especially from the standpoint of the co-creative model. We're tracking their their relational um, competency, if you will. That's a term that's used in therapy a lot. Uh, Their relational competency will change and grow over time as they work with their dreams with the group. So we begin to see the dreamer through that series of dreams and understand who they are and what they're dealing with much more effectively than a single dream or a non-dream group experience. And is this a, a method that a person could learn and use for themselves without having you know, a therapist involved? It, it really is. And it's uh, surprisingly effective, but also not invasive. You know, one of the problems in dream work is people jumping in and saying, well, I think your dream means this. You know, I think you ought to get a divorce or something, you know, really, you know, too much overwhelming and not, not really uh, respectful. Whereas this approach is focusing on the dreamer-dream interaction 
which is pretty evident. It's not, we're, we're not importing our beliefs. We're looking at what really happens in a way that traditionally is overlooked. So it tends to be much more uh, bounded, respectful, as well as uh, self-evident. It's right there. It's like the earth is round. You know, we just weren't looking at it in the right way. Mm, so it really helps a person get that focus. That they- it really does. And an individual can analyze their own dreams surprisingly pretty well with this because it kind of sets them apart from the dream drama and it gives them some tools to analyze themselves in their interactive relationship with the dream. So insights can come very readily that way. Mm, very, very interesting. Very fascinating to hear about this process. Uh, but I want to go back to your first dream or your first lucid dream. Uh, so I want to talk about lucid dreams a bit more. Okay. When you first had a lucid dream, how did you react to it? Well, it was just overwhelmingly beautiful. I, uh, it really changed my life because I didn't know what it was. It was an, a light experience, not only a lucid dream, but it was one of these uh, mystical experiences with white light. So in a way, the lucid dream part of it was less important to me than the experience of this radiance. So uh, when I had it, I had to go find out what it meant. So I began researching and talking to friends, and it really increased my search, my spiritual search. Uh, it set me on a journey that really has never ended. Mm-hmm. So do you see dreams as being spiritual? Well, yes. I think that a mentor of mine said one time, he says, uh, when we dream, we either see God, God figuratively speaking, or we see what we prefer to see. And so it, I think that's a really interesting formula, which corresponds pretty well to the Tibetan Buddhist model, which says that the dream is, you know, it's illusion and, and karma and imagery from our memories. But behind the dream, if you will, is this radiance, this sense of completeness that awaits us, just as the light at the end of life seems to await us. So if we can learn to understand the imagery and work with it and work through the, the barriers we have to it and we begin to connect with imagery, the light experience, or the ecstasy in the dream, can reveal itself much more readily. Mm. Can anyone learn how to have lucid dreams? Yes, but I think it's, you know, first of all, you've got to remember your dreams. And secondly, uh, you've got to put some effort into it. I think it's all, you know, perspiration mainly uh, versus uh, inspiration. So if you, if you work on pre-sleep suggestion, some of the basic tools we've known of for 50 years are very effective, such as checking your own reality from moment to moment and asking yourself, is this a dream or not? And that attitude, that inquiry seems to spill over into the dream state very readily if you do it on a daily basis. Mm. So what, what, would, what would your steps be for how to, rem- how to remember lucid dreams? Or how to have lucid dreams? Well, the, the most powerful method I've always espoused, and it's been controversial because some of the other authorities in the field say, no, nah, no, nah, it's not that important, is meditation meditation during the daytime, but especially early morning meditation, getting up around 2 a.m. to 4 a.m., somewhere in there, and meditating for half an hour, which a lot of people, they roll my eyes, roll their eyes at me when I mention it. But if you do that, the dreams afterward are deeper, richer, more vivid, and often lucid. So that's something I've researched all my life. I've done some studies and written some papers about 
uh, the efficacy of early morning meditation in having lucid dreams. Hmm. So would that be something you would have to do on a regular basis in order to then have lucid dreams? Ideally, ideally, I once did it, well, twice did it for 28 straight days, uh, meditating an hour from 2 to 3 a.m. That was an ordeal. So I don't do that that often, but I will do it twice a week, maybe three times a week, uh, spontaneously when I get up around 4 or 4.30 in the morning. I'll meditate for half an hour and almost always, not necessarily lucid dreams, but vivid dreams, meaningful dreams, and sometimes lucid dreams as well will occur right afterwards. Mm. So uh, do you find any greater value in lucid dreams as opposed to what we call ordinary dreams? Well, you know, I think they certainly give us a lot of fearlessness and creativity and capability to do all kinds of things, but also find that sometimes they really get in the way. I mean, real life, the initiations of real life, you know, the ordeals we face with people in our lives, we're not lucid, we're not in a dream, we're in reality, right? So there's a real sense of what's called a situated awareness. You are there, you know, you're incarnate. It, you know, there's consequences to this. So when you're in a lucid dreams, a lot of times you can kind of pull back and uh, dissociate from what's happening. But if, if you're not lucid and you're in an encounter, it's, you know, it's an emulation of reality. It feels real and whatever you do or don't do is going to have the same kind of impact psychologically as if it would happen in the waking state. So I often say to people, you'd probably be much better off not being lucid and having made that breakthrough than being lucid and realizing, oh, you know, it's an illusion or it's subjective, it's my creation. That has a way sometimes of minimizing the impact of what happens. Mm -hmm. So it's up to the dreamer to really decide. <laughs> right, it really is. And some people have a hard time becoming uh, reflective and moving away from their emotional engagement. So a lucid dream is a huge moment. For some of us are awfully good at being a little aloof from life. So lucid dreaming may be only be more of the same for the, those of us who need to be more in our, in our experience. Mm -hmm. Well, you've certainly given us a lot to think about and maybe stuff to dream about. So how do people find out more about you and your services? Well, I have a website called dreamstarinstitute.com and I have a lot of papers and some videos and a lot of audio uh, presentations there. You can go there and uh, read them. They're all available. I also have a training program there, a different platform alongside it, which is uh, a way to become certified if you'd like to <clears throat> in the five-star method and co-creator dream analysis. Mm, wonderful. Well, Scott, thank you so much for being on Dream Power Radio today. Thank you, Debbie. We've been speaking with dream worker Scott Sparrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's program. Until next time, this is Debbie Spector-Weissman saying, sweet dreams, everybody. You've been listening to Dream Power Radio with your host, Debbie Spector-Weissman. For more information on Debbie or to sign up for her newsletter, go to dreampowerradio.com. This has been Dream Power Radio on the amazing Women and Men of Power Network the world's leading positive programming network, powered by Raven International.